And welcome back, everyone, to another edition of Going for Two, presented by our good friends at Home Field Apparel. I am your host, publisher of the Extra Points newsletter. I'm Matt Brown. I'm joined here by my D1 ticker colleague, Brian Fisher. How you holding up, man? I'm doing good. Uh, I think like uh, most of the country now, especially after this cold wave, out, cold cold weather front out west, uh, just doing well, staying staying bundled up a little bit. But uh, I, I'm I'm excited. You know, this is kind of kind of the best time of the year in terms of college football. We we have a lot happening. It was, it was another great week on that front, and uh, some fun times around the uh, D1 ticker office as well. Yeah, I, that's good. I'm feeling good too. It was unusually warm, um, and and uh, in my neck of the woods here. And then I'm about to skip town before it gets cold. Uh, we we can talk about that there a little bit. I'm feeling good that I'm not digging through College Football Reference, looking up games around Taylor Swift album releases, which I stupidly decided to spend most of my Sunday afternoon doing. Um, if something seems like a good idea that will engage College Football Reddit might be but i gotta, I gotta I, that, I, that I, had I, to be up there but I, you know like like did you even listen to the album before? no i haven't i haven't heard it yet i don't i don't i'm not i don't dislike taylor swift i just i i just don't have strong feelings one way or the other i am my my musical tastes are extraordinarily dad uh and not just dad but i think the subgenre of dad that's like x banner dad so if it's like oh this is a front man if the band name was like so and so and the something else's or something else is like an eight-piece band with like a tenor saxophone. I'm probably really into that. Which is, you know, if it's Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats, great. If it's if it's whatever Taylor Swift is doing, I'm sure it's fine. It's just like it's not really my thing. I'll wait for my kids to tell me about it. Yeah, I was gonna say like I I have not like carved out time because I, I just know my, my wife's a big Swifty or whatever they call themselves. You yeah. know, like I know I'm gonna hear it in the car. She likes to drive to, to Taylor Swift. So I know uh, between struggling the kids around, I, I'm sure I'm gonna get the full album treatment. But yeah, I'm, I'm, it's definitely not. Uh, it, I, I don't dislike her either, just like you, you, but like, it's not, uh, not necessarily my cup of tea in terms of like the, these are my three genres and I stick to them. Yeah. I mean, I don't drive that much, so I'm not That's as true. exposed to top 40 radio. And if I am driving, I'm usually with a, a kid that demands something else. But anyway, this is not why you turned, you, you turned in here into the show um, to talk about Taylor Swift. That's what every other sports podcast is for. We're going to talk about some other things. Um, I am going actually uh, by the time you guys listen to this show, I'll be in Charlotte. I'm going to be there from Tuesday until Friday. You drop me a line if you guys are are, are in town. Uh, my Twitter handle is Matt Brown EP. I'm not going for any sporting event exactly. I'm actually going for the Sports Marketing Association Conference, which I want to go to because well, part of what I do at Extra Points is I talk to academics and I talk to uh, people that are studying sports marketing. People that and that means this is a lot of white papers about NIL. Um, about uh, how schools sell tickets, how they price tickets, what happens with sponsorships, some real inside baseball money stuff, but which is important because that shapes what schools end up doing. So I'm going to try to learn about more of that research. And if you're interested, I can tell you about some of the papers I'm hoping to go, I'm hoping to catch. I'm going to do some shilling for D1 Classroom. I'm going to speak at a big panel uh, about uh, NIL with a few other people in this industry. Was not expecting this to now also be like the next epicenter of where college football news was happening though, which is terrible news for like what I wanted to do in Charlotte, but uh, you know, college football and God wait for no man. Uh, by now I'm sure you've seen Charlotte is now looking for a new football coach. 
That's right. Will Healy uh, getting the axe. You know, I, I think uh, everybody kind of expected him to be a little bit on the on the hot seat just on the, based on the way, you know, things went last year, kind of coming into the year. And then, you know, starting off like they did, they, they lost to FIU over the weekend. Um, you know, it just uh, was was not something that was working out. And so I think the the change ended up being being made. And, um, you know, we joke about, you know, kind of the, uh, the Power Five, you know, firings that kind of happened week after week. You typically don't necessarily get the group of five you know, uh, coaches getting, getting shuffled out the door just because there's either maybe not a necessarily a guy that you can kind of go to on staff to, yep. to actually be the interim head coach. Uh, a lot of times it's just like, you know, are, are, are you really getting a huge jump on the market by, by letting somebody go, uh, you know, this early? But, uh, you know, it, it's an interesting mix because I think this could be one of the more attractive jobs, not necessarily, the, you know, in terms of the Power Five, but in terms of the Group of Five, I think this could be one of the more attractive jobs that coaches really want to go after knowing the potential uh, there in Charlotte. Uh, so that that is going to make for a very interesting coaching carousel edition. I, I want to talk about this job here for a little bit, right? We spent whole episodes about Nebraska and about Arizona State and those places. And you're right. This is a unique gig in a couple of different ways, right? You, For one, um, in case you are unaware, every podcast is somebody's first. Uh, Charlotte is not one of those G5 teams that's been playing for 100 years. Their first season of FBS football was 2015. And they, it's not like they were in FCS for 20 years, you know, plotting the, a move up here. It's an extremely new program. It's a program that, candidly, has never been successful. Um, the best season in school history, this was this was Healy's first year. They go 7-6 and six and they lose the Bahamas Bowl. It's the only time they've ever finished above 500. they They've only come close uh, a couple of times. The last year did not end the way that Charlotte wanted. There, there was some expectations around the program. Um, I don't... From what I was hearing in and around the program and from the agent world, this was not something that was like, and no, I, the school did not go into this year thinking they were going to have to fire Will. But when you get bodied by a not very good Florida international team and looked pretty uncompetitive in some of these other games and the defense never really getting around and uh, some other concerns about roster management, about where where things were going, you know, the you 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 kind of have to make a decision. You know, if, if if any if a power five program was facing this trajectory, they definitely would have made this move. You're right though. Typically, the the, the financial incentives to move early don't, uh, are, are are not as much there. So, new program, no real history of success, no real history. Period. That's both a positive and a negative thing. You are in a really important city, like or you know in in the city in in the city, right? <clears throat> and Charlotte is. Uh, Growing area, a place that has a lot of high school football talent, and not just in Charlotte, but you go into Rock Hill, South Carolina, you go across the state line. There's a lot of good players, a lot of players that aren't necessarily going to go to ACC programs or SEC programs. You might be able to be competitive there. So it's uh, there's a lot of reporters there, a lot of media outlets there, and a lot of money there. As Charlotte has become a banking center, and uh, and and there is there is money to, to be to be raised from sidewalk alumni and from. People that went to Charlotte but never haven't engaged at their athletic department in a long time, and there's hope. Hey, long term, long term, this could be a program that has some resources. You have a, you have a really nice stadium. It's a small stadium, but it's new and it's modern and, and it's pretty nice. The 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 concern that I would have beyond the fact that you've never won anything and and you are still trying to train a fan base, which is a challenging thing. Um, Charlotte's changing conferences. They are playing in the American next year, right? Is it, is it next year? Like my, my internet, the brain, brain's muddled here. So this is the problem because right now, this is not an athletic department that has a $75 million budget. 
Not even close. Not even close to that. But you're you're right. I, I think everybody sees Charlotte as the potential, right? You know, you, they they are so new, and and they do kind of remind me a little bit of the early days of USF. You know, and, and just you know, there were so, some struggles to kind of get things going, and then they found kind of Jim Levitt, and they eventually found success. And uh, you know, Charlotte's kind of in the, in the same re, you know uh, same kind of trajectory, I guess you could say, because you are in a talent, talent rich area, you can get down into Georgia pretty quickly, um, you know, and, and, and kind of mine those gaps for, for the uh, power five players that uh, kind of get overlooked. I, yeah. I think it's an you know attractive city as well, you know, for, for some of the guys that uh, might be one of coming down from the power five level in the, in the transfer portal as well. You know, you can come and uh, be in a major city, kind of be, uh, you know, experience uh, life in, at a college around there. And, you know, I, I think from a, 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 just a standard of living, you know, a lot of coaches would, would like to be around there. They, they know they could attract assistance to, to live in Charlotte and, and yeah. easily recruit in, in Charlotte, given that, you know, that is a hub for American Airlines. So you can probably get just about anywhere in the country pretty easily as well. So I, I think there are a lot of attractiveness in, uh, about the job itself and the programs themselves are, are going to have to go through a transition because um, the American, you know, is, is really betting on the upside of Charlotte. And, and I think yeah. the next head coach is, is going to have to do that as well. This is, and this might be a me thing rather. So I, I fully recognize this might be a blind spot for Matt Brown, but I think, generally speaking, sleeping giants tend to stay asleep, and it is difficult for demographics alone to become destiny to shift a program that seems like they should have a lot of potential on paper. It's a really kind of elevating that station a little bit. This was part of the mistake that the last version of Conference USA made. I think they bet on a couple of different like expansion teams and big markets that didn't really pan out. And that isn't to say that Charlotte can't pan out, or and and like those fundamentals of hey academically selective institution, but you know, decent enrollment size, growing city, um, alumni base in, a, in an area that is young enough and has money that could potentially contribute. And clearly it's a place that cares about football, um, high school football, college football, professional football, all those things. You, you'd want all of that. That's not like the American is a league of giant killers necessarily now that it's going through some attrition. But I, I, I have the tab open here. It looks like you got an annual budget of in the high 30s for your athletic department. And even a small American athletic program on, on the lower side, something like an ECU is still five, $6 million more than that. And I want a USF or a Memphis uh, or some of the other, you know, a big, bigger budget things, schools in there are going to be 10, 15 million or more, if, 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 if not more than that. And that matters not just for athletic department salaries. Cause I think you're right. You might not necessarily always have to be the high bidder to be able to be competitive for staff given quality of life and, and proximity to recruits. But it's going to matter with facilities. It's going to matter with athlete experience. And remember, they're also not going to get the same media revenue distribution share as, as a new member as some of the legacy members are going to, going to get. So this is a job where they already weren't being especially competitive in what, quite frankly, is a pretty bad league. Presumably, are going to move into a more difficult league. And now there's going to be a lot of more pressure on athletic director Mike Hill and this university to not just hire the right coach, but then build up the infrastructure to support that person. And that's why I look at this and say, I'm not saying it's a bad gig. I know a lot of people have ties to North and South Carolina, and there's a lot of quality assistance that I think it could do well in this role. I just look at it and think like, I wonder if this is one of those jobs that's going to be a really great gig for the coach that they hire after they hire this particular coach. Um, because there's a lot of building that has to happen here beyond just finding football recruits and winning games. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned the, the kind of base there that they need to continue to build. I mean, this, this is just such a, a new program, right? You know, and, and there's, there's no history. You can't, you can't go in there and sell, Hey, you remember that one time we, we made a bowl game like that. That's it. You know, they don't have much 
to kind of grab onto. And yeah, it's like uh, well, one time we beat Duke, and and that's kind of that's it. And and so you know, like I, I think a lot of it is just about kind of establishing a culture, which you know, this is uh, very much a, a blank slate. Um, you know, the, you're going to be the third head coach in 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 uh, the history of the program. So um, you know, there's 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 a lot that you can kind of put as an imprint, and and I think a lot of coaches truthfully view it as as a bit of a stepping stone. You know, if you you do well, if you can get Charlotte to uh, not only winning, uh, bowl, getting back to bowl games, but you know, winning eight seven, eight games, you know, especially in, in the newly constituted American, you know, that, that's going to generate some, some power five interest, uh, especially along the ACC schools and SEC schools that are kind of in the region, if you can do that. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I know a lot of coordinators and, and assistants at the power five level, you know, I, I think uh, very, very much eyeing this, this position and uh, knowing that uh, it could be that kind of big, big leapfrog opportunity if you get things right. But the, yeah. the, the inherent challenges are, are certainly there. And, um, you know, it's not just competing in, in a tougher conference moving forward. Um, you know, there are going to be budgetary challenges moving forward as well. You know, you're, you're not just you know, as, as much as you want to be kind of that, that Charlotte's, you know, town, you know, college or whatever, um, you know, like uh, they always uh, term, term Northwestern, you know, Chicago's big 10. Don't, team or, don't even. Yeah. You know, th- th- that's what Charlotte ultimately wants to be, but that that's just such a melting pot now of, of people from, from all over the country that are, that are moving there that still have their, their alli- allegiances to uh, not only a uh, Duke or North Carolina, but to uh, Georgia tech or, to uh, you know, an SEC program like Florida or Georgia or whatnot. So yeah, that, that's the the other thing that you can to, to get new fans and, and build up that fan base. You know, it, it could take five, 10, 15 years before you get alumni that are ready to not only come back for games but uh, start giving to the program. So it, it is a big challenge, and this is kind of the, the first wave. And, and I do understand why you would say um, maybe it's it's better to be the guy after the guy uh, in in this this case since uh, Will, yeah. Will Healy got fired. But but I, I think that, truthfully, a lot of you know coaches that want that that experience of running the program do do view the opportunity and, and do view uh what this job can represent uh probably a little bit more with more rose-colored glasses than uh than, than you do which is fair that is why i'm a doofus sitting at a desk and not coaching a football program right like if i was a linebackers coach at unc uh or a defensive coordinator somewhere I, certainly I, I would i would i would might think differently i do do not by any means think this is the hopeless job well, but, and I think it, to, to just interrupt yeah, you just a second, please. I think it is also helping Charlotte's case right now to, to not only, uh, I, I think you could question in, in terms of the timing of, of letting Will Healy go and maybe not the decision itself, but in terms of the timing. But the thing about Charlotte that they do have going for is it might not be that active of a group of five coaching market. So that, now you can kind of leverage, you know, that into a maybe a better candidate list than you normally would, uh, say, on a cycle last year when when things got crazy. And, yeah. and you're having openings like Colorado State and Nevada and, and a lot of these these group of five programs that do have a little bit of semblance of, of history and, and have had success recently. But, um, you know, that might not necessarily be the case this year. And so I think that's why maybe the interest, for at least from the coaching community, is, is a little bit higher in an opportunity like this than it would be in, in say, a normal cycle where there's 25, 35 jobs open. I want to just plant one other seed here to look at evaluate this job outside the scope of just the football coach here. And this is, I think, the other thing that is interesting to me about Charlotte. We were talking off air. It may be the case a little bit with FAU. It could be the case with a couple of other institutions. You're looking at a school right now that's in the process of trying to significantly increase its total athletic budget, increase its facilities, increase its, its athletic infrastructure in a bunch of different ways to be competitive with new conference peers, right? You are ambitious about the future, and you're going to need a lot of money to get there. Um, Now you also have to bring in a new head coach and and potentially somebody that was more expensive than Will Healy. You know, the the, the school 
took a chance on him a little bit, you know, pulling him out as a pretty young guy out of the FCS. Um, not a place where you might not assume that the head coach is going to make a million six, I, I think, coming in. But college sports is also different now because I think if you are a, a football coach, you're not necessarily looking to establish an NIL collective or some kind of recruiting fund at a place like Charlotte so you can win recruiting battles against NC State. Um, I, I think at the G5 level, that is un, that would be unusual. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It would be unusual, especially at a place that like that has a, a, a deeper basketball tradition. NAL money at that school might want to go to, to basketball before, before it goes to football. But if you're a coach wanting to take this job, you also probably want to know what the school and that the fan base is going to be able to do enough that you could be able to say to, hey, my all-conference linebacker, if you stay here rather than transferring to NC State, you know that X, Y, and Z may be made available to you. And the way, I mean, and a perfect, and if I was an athletic director, the perfect world would be, and, and yes, and the thing what we can offer you here is look at our influencer branded NIL exchange and look at the ways that you could potentially take advantage of NIL and grow into the, and, and these opportunities and all that stuff's important and true, but they're also going to be looking at what, what, you know, what's my base compensation, right? What, what is something that I know that can be available to me, especially as other G5 football programs are being able to say, we're not going to match you dollar for dollar, but there is this group here that if you opt in and do this particular quid pro quo, you know, you'll have two grand, you know, you'll have three grand, or if you are a very popular person, more than that. To the best of my knowledge right now, that doesn't exist at Charlotte. And so now you have, I think, a, a bit of a potential challenge because you have a finite amount of money. You have a finite number of donors right now. You have a lot of people who could become potential donors. Lord willing, your financial situation in a decade, or maybe less than that if you start winning, could, could change significantly. But right now, you don't have a ton of people who are writing five-figure checks. You don't have a ton of a ton, ton of people who are going to write you know, $150 checks. So as a coach, now you have to think, if I come here, will I be will will my donor community be most engaged in what what's most important to me, which is player retention? Will they be most engaged with what may be more important to my school, which is fundraising for capital projects or infrastructure, which is needed for the entire athletic department, including football? Um, do I want to go work someplace where I might, might be told no? Um, do as a, as an AD, and again, this is not me throwing a bomb at Charlotte or just, but I'm just you know saying here. Do you have the capacity to expedite that donor growth process? All of these things here are kind of coming to a head at once, which for somebody that does not have any skin in the game makes us an interesting job to follow. And maybe that is something that becomes part of the calculus at a place like FAU, where you're not succeeding at the place where you, at the rate you thought you might have with Billy Taggart, but your, your school's also in a similar boat. You don't have that much money and you're going to have to spend a lot of money to get to reach parity with the new people that you're joining. Do you have enough to, to put it every place where it can be most meaningful right now? Yeah, I mean, I, speaking of uh, you, I talked with Brian White uh, not too long ago about uh, just the whole transition process and, you know, things that have been going good in terms of raising money and and, and going down the path, but there's still a lot of work to do, right? And uh, as, as much as you can still prepare and prepare, you, you look at a program like um, UTSA that that is also making the moves. They, they've started this process beforehand. You know, they, they've yeah. already locked up their coach. They've already put down the facilities upgrades. You know, they, they've already committed a lot of these uh, sums of money that, that Charlotte and FAU and others are just now starting to do so um you're going to be behind your conference peers as you you move into the aac and that's that's not even getting into the ones that are already well established in the league that are, are remaining behind and not going to the big 12 so 
you know, a lot of things that, that a lot of, you know, coaches in, and I, I think it's going to be a fascinating search too, because you know what, this is a, a program that has gone with first time head coaches, uh, both the last two hires. So is this something where you kind of go, you know what, we, we need somebody who, who maybe you, you want to label them a retread. Sure. But maybe they, they understand some of the challenges, how to do more with less um, and, and, and they have been a head coach before. And so I, I think it will be an interesting mix of uh, kind of young up and coming uh, coordinators and whatnot, as well as some position coaches um, you know, that, that might be a little energetic and, and that's cer certainly needed in a job like this, given how much selling that you're going to have to do. And I, I think there could be a few uh, head coaches uh, also throw their names in the mix that, that either um, have retired or, or doing other things that, uh, you know, want to get that uh, head coaching job back again. So I, I think it'll be a very interesting candidate pool. And, and uh, I, I think it's one of the programs that, you know, when we talk about college athletics, you know, in general, um, how, how these schools kind of, you know, evolve and uh, you know, where, where they kind of go from here in terms of that growth trajectory. Um, you know, Charlotte is, is certainly one of those that, that is on the list that you can kind of track. And this is uh, this is where a lot of programs used to be uh, before kind of establishing themselves. And yeah. you know, Charlotte's kind of in that growth phase. I don't have a whole lot of sympathy when I talk to somebody like in the big 10, that's worried about um, money moving from capital projects to NIL when you've already built a lot of that stuff. I understand it's a different calculus at a G5 program or an FCS program or below that, or maybe you haven't. And, and it's not like you're necessarily trying to build opulent things. It may be literal human capital. So it's going to require, no matter what, a lot of selling. I, I am not going to sit here and say, like, I know who Charlotte should hire because I have no idea. I just know that all of this will be a sales job. Speaking of sales jobs, let me go tell you about our dear friends at Home Field Apparel they make the most comfortable, most unique, officially licensed collegiate apparel. I am wearing some home field right now because it is a day ending in Y, and I'm not at church or a professional event. So I'm wearing the retro UCLA shirt. Uh, things didn't go the Bruins' way um, over the weekend, but their color scheme still slaps. So I'm going to still wear the shirt. Uh, Brian, I believe, is, is rocking the uh, the blaster hoodie. Oh, yeah. um, that's, a, that's a donkey with a dynamite stick in its mouth which is always in season as far as I'm concerned, regardless of whatever is happening outside with the weather. Uh, Homefield is dropping some new refreshes and some new uh, design drops here from a variety of G5 programs. I just saw the, the re-teasing here of the Illinois Rose Bowl shirt. That's not a G5 program, but shit, Illinois might make the Rose Bowl. Um, so you should you better go buy some I stuff covered, now. I covered Illinois the last time they made the Rose Bowl. When was that, 2007? 2008. 2008. All right. I was still I'm somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I distinctly remember having my social life ruined uh, by an Illinois upsetting Ohio state. What one weekend late in my college career um, that, that caused wailing and gnashing of teeth. I have to look it up and that's, that's not good podcasting, but what is good podcasting is buying stuff from home field apparel because that, that subsidizes this podcasting, which is occasionally good podcasting. You can buy stuff at home field apparel too, by going to homefieldapparel.com and use promo code extra points when you do to save 15% off that first order. Again, buy some comfortable stuff with cool logos on it at homefieldapparel.com. Um, I don't think I have a good segue off of the sales ramp. I was all proud of myself with the one to get us on there, but getting us off is so much harder um, off the, 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 the sales trajectory and everything there. Um, the, the, uh, we don't have anybody else I think is going to immediately make any other big coaching changes. I did have a chance to go to talk about some potentially significant administrative changes uh, on extra points this week as well. If you want to go quickly talk about that. Let's do it. Let's do it. So friends, um, uh, while I, you know, before I was doing some very stupid posting on extra points by Taylor Swift, 
Uh, I did reach out to the West Coast Commissioner, uh, Gloria Navarez, about the NCAA Transformation Committee and also about some potential changes with the WCC. And, and she's a good person to talk about this kind of thing because, one, I, I think in general she's a, she's a very thoughtful administrator. She leads uh, an important mid-major league. She spent time in the Pac-12. She's been around other places. She's also on the dang Transformation Committee, so she does know what's being talked about there. Um, I think the two things that would be of particular interest to this audience, uh, when I was when I was trying to get a little bit more information about what membership requirements might look like, and and the WCC right now, I I I I think it's appropriate to set the expectation here. Gloria doesn't seem to be expecting, and I'm not expecting any membership requirement that's going to be so onerous that anybody in the WCC would say we can't make this. We're dropping out of Division One, whatever the cutoff line is. I feel pretty confident that Pepperdine and Pacific and Santa Clara are going to be above it. So you, you can recalibrate your expectations accordingly. But one of the things that's unique about the WCC, and, and she you know, reminded me of this, is these are not mostly very big schools. They're mostly relatively academically selective, relatively modest enrollments. You're looking at six, 7,000 you know, for these, for these uh, private, several of them Jesuit, not all of them, but you know, schools on the West Coast. Generally, uh, that does not correlate to winning national championships, but they do not in basketball, um, although they've come close, but they have in soccer. Um, they, they, they've been a multi-bid league in basketball. They've been a multi-bid league in baseball. They've been very competitive in volleyball. And it's the kind of league where um, you kind of pick your spots a little bit. You want to be competitive in everything that you do. But if you make the right investment in some Olympic sports, you can be extraordinarily competitive. Like Santa Clara won a national title in soccer like two years ago. Oh, I, I want to say for for women's soccer, and her concern was, like I, I want to say, I think believe the, the correct quote was like, I, I hope that these changes will not become so expensive that they will make it impossible for us to do this in golf and volleyball, and that is a I think appropriate to say is a is a mid major concern. I don't think there's a ton of leagues. There are a couple, but there's not a ton where they're like we're worried we're going to lose a bunch of guys that won't be able to stay in Division One. If you're in the NEC or the MAC. Or you know maybe a couple of the, the low major leagues in the South, that may be a concern for a couple of your institutions potentially. Maybe, probably not for the WCC, but there are going to be cost increases. Like I, I think that was a direct question. She's like, I I believe the cost of being a Division One school is going to go up, which we've talked about on this show. I think for the the last year. But here's a direct quote from somebody who's actually on the on the, the dank thing that that whether that's. Uh, scholarship increases, whether that's mental health therapist increases, trainer increases, licensing increases, uh, any other kind of like a staffer to athlete ratio adjustment. That's all being talked about on the table. The other thing that I think maybe of interest to this audience is talking about the NCAA tournament, because uh, I think since we've, la we, since we've last talked for a couple of times, I've, I know John Rothstein said this. I've seen this from, I think, Goodman. I've seen this from a couple other people in the college basketball world. A very strong pushback to the idea of expanding the tournament at all, right? Like stronger, I think, than, than I had expected. And I, I asked her about this. Like, hey, I mean, I never – I don't know about you, Brian, but when I talk to like league people about expanding the tournament, I, it's rare that I read anybody who's pounding the table like, by God, we've got to do this. This is an existential thing. And most of it's like, yeah, we'll look at it. You know, it's not the most important thing in the world, but here's the intuitive reason why it makes sense to do it. And, and she reiterated, look. I don't know what you're reading on the internet. There's no direct proposal right now to do anything with the men's or women's NCAA basketball tournament. We are talking about 
in theory, a potential principle <laughs> to expand to 25%. And, and I, I, you know, people are reacting to that, even though we're not down that line. But we in the WCC, a league that would probably benefit from an expanded tournament, you know, went out of our way to reference, listen, we know how important this tournament is. We know how special it is. We are not interested in making any kind of radical change or stepping backward to compromise what makes this what it is. I am inferring from this. Here is somebody that would potentially benefit from an expanded league on the committee. That did not sound like an endorsement of going to 96 teams to me. Yeah, I, I think the the disconnect, and, and maybe part of this is just driven by the news cycle that uh, the Transformation Committee co-chair Greg Sankey has, I'll, I'll say, perpetuated a little bit in, in, a, in a few of the interviews, is that there has been so much focus on the basketball tournament. That's that's obvious. Anybody, Anytime somebody says NCAA tournament, you're immediately going to think about the men's basketball tournament. So I think anytime you associate that with field size increases, there's there's going to be some worry. There's going to be certainly the basketball folks out there saying, you know, wait, wait, wait a minute, we, we really can't do this. And I, I think the transformation committee, ultimately what they are going to send to the board uh, really this week on, on Thursday is uh, just kind of here's here's the overarching principle, right? Here's something that sports committees can do. And and it means a lot for like, you know, women's golf or, uh, you know, cross country. I, I, I just uh, somebody said the other day that uh, cross country got expanded. The field is going to be expanded for the first time in, in since 1998. So, like, you know, there, there's been a lot of changes in terms of the size of Division One. Since 1998. And so you got a lot yeah. of, um, you know, new programs that have, that have added, you know, sports that have dropped sports that, you know, just the, the membership composition has changed. And for a lot of the, the, let's face it, Olympic sports, you know what, there, there do need to be changes in terms of how things are run. There, there's being some uh, new, new trialing uh, uh, bracketing principles uh, being, being uh, thrown out yeah, there as well for things like uh, women's soccer, like you mentioned and, and others, uh, you know, I, I think just overall the, the focus has always been on, on men's basketball, just from, from a outside media perspective but uh, Gloria's right you know I think the there are a lot of other sports that, that are going to benefit from this type of proposal and we'll we'll see ultimately what ends up happening with with the men's basketball tournament I, I don't think they're they're necessarily going to touch it but um, you know what there's there's going to be a new NCAA president here not too soon and I, I think that person will kind of set the agenda when it comes to what the NCAA tournament is, is going to look like given this option to potentially expand the field did you put in your application for it to be the NCAA <laughs> president I, I should have, you know, we, we I, I conducted that interview with the uh, the board chair, and uh, I should have I should have just slipped in my resume, but uh, no, I I did not. I don't think as 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 hefty as that uh, salary increase might be, uh, and 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 the with the move to Indianapolis, I, I don't think I, that's a job that I necessarily want to want to handle at this point. That job would just suck so much. I can't. As I'm 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 at a point in my life where I think I could say this, and it literally isn't a joke. If you paid me a million and a half dollars to do that job, I think I would be less happy than I am right now, making substantially less than that. And that isn't me just dunking on having to live in Indianapolis, like because I, I I could do that for a million five. Like that, that's that that's not even the, the issue that that I would have. No. I think just having you know two young kids and and the travel demands that that position really yeah. kind of entails, especially now as you're kind of trying to sell things to to a lot of the membership. Um, that that more than anything uh, would, would stick out to me as kind of the the big uh, hurdle that that I would have. So so maybe in like ten or fifteen years, you know, when, when the kids are a little more grown up. But uh, yeah, it's 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 quite the challenge, and I'm going to be very curious as 
um, you know, I think Turnkey and, and, and the NCAA will play this very close to their vest, but in terms of actually who the candidate is. Um, but uh, eventually, I, I think we, we might end up doing some Googling in terms of what the actual name is, and yeah. uh, we'll, we'll react appropriately <clears throat> at that time. But, you know, it, it is interesting, too, because I, I, I was just thinking about this as I, as I was speaking to you. A lot of these proposals, too, coming around this Division One Transformation Committee, and, and you mentioned the WCC not getting affected by this. I know a lot of other um, kind of FCS or mid-major leagues have, have said, you know what, we don't think it's it's going to be too onerous. But uh, the the one thing that that somebody pointed out to me uh, last week when I, when I was talking with them that there might be some some greater concerns about some of those minimums or adding positions, adding mental health uh, you know requirements um, is is this could in, impact um, and and certainly not. It, it being an issue uh, with with the transformation committee saying, "Hey, we, we we've got to do this and narrow it down," but it could impact um, uh, unproportionately the, the HBCUs and, and places where things are already tight. Um, you know, a lot of the FCS leagues that that do have HBCUs already struggle for money, already struggle for, for a lot. You know, just to, to you know fully fund a lot of their sports or their scholarships. Um, you know, and and that would be the one thing that I would say keep an eye on. Uh, the, the rest of this week and next. Now, there will be ramp up periods. There'll be, you know, things that, that they can do to help them. But that, that would be one area where I, I don't think there has been much discourse about in terms of, hey, if we do end up making these changes, here's here's where we can also help and kind of raise the floor at, at a lot of these places, too. Yeah, I have this. A similar concern has been raised to me, and I think part of the reason I haven't written about it or, or raised hell as much is because I don't know enough of the details about ramp up periods or waivers. One thing I do feel pretty comfortable saying on the air is um, the people on this committee that I have talked to on background are very sensitive to the idea of accidentally creating rules that would disproportionately hurt HBCUs. Or like if we create a membership cutoff and it's Chicago State and six HBCUs and they're the only schools that don't meet it, um, we won't be able to do that unless we give waivers or a long enough timeline or something else. If 27 schools don't decide to, to reclassify and 12 of them are HBCUs, that might be something that we could do, but um, you don't want to just, you know, nuke Coppin state or Maryland Eastern shore or something. Um, and if that's what the numbers say, then there's going to be some, uh, uh, something tacked on to the end to, to eliminate that because of course those schools are poor uh, for things, you know, that's 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 a systemic racism and, and history issue that is outside the scope of the NCAA, but they don't want to be the ones to um, to cause disproportionate harm beyond what they've clearly already done. Uh, this I, this has come up when I've asked people about the APR too, or what the future of what academic monitoring looks like, given uh, what the, what that has been. So when it, we this reaches a draft, whenever they're ready to share that, and it's allegedly going to be relatively soon. Um, it will be a draft. There will be hooting and hollering and, and revisions there, but hopefully we'll have a little bit more clarity beyond what Gloria shared with us in the near future. That, that conversation also includes, I think, some, some interesting admissions about WCC realignment and expansion and what kind of schools they would consider. That was news to me. It was different from the last time I talked to her, but you should go listen to it or read the story if you want to know what that is, because that means you are the kind of degenerate listening 34 minutes into this podcast for that information means you would probably enjoy either extra points or collegiate sports connect, which I'm told is free question mark and has a bunch of other video content on it. Right. That would be correct. And, and I, I mean, I, come on, give, give the people what they want. They, they want to know who's replacing BYU in the, just throw it out there, Matt Brown. Come on. Out. But, but I, okay. I, I mean, I, 
all right, this is, I mean, it, the, the whole thing is behind the paywall, but if you've listened this long and you haven't paid for the damn thing yet, what, what, what she did tell me was, Hey, if you had talked to me in 2018, 2019, which I had before, um, and you had asked about membership, you know, criteria for being in the West coast conference, she would have, she, she, like, I would have told you, you would have had to have been a private school. One of the things that makes the WCC really unique and, and my argument would be that that's really helped them is very strong institutional, a very strong institutional identity. They're all church schools um, and they're all church schools within a particular geography and a particular window of academic selectivity and budgets. And you have a couple of exceptions, but it, you're generally within those parameters, right? Which would mean that say a school like Utah Valley is not in those parameters. So, you know, DOA. Now you don't have to be Wikipedia Brown to look at a map and look at who's in division one and realize there aren't that many other schools within like 500 miles of a, of a WCC institution that fit that profile. It's Seattle, it's Grand Canyon, it's Cal Baptist, and it's Denver. And that's about it, unless you're willing to go you know, substantially farther. Um, and I don't think I'm telling tales out of school to say like, hey, they've talked to those schools um, on, on, and had a couple of those conversations, right? Um, but then she was saying, listen, times have changed. And we're, we're in a situation that's much more fluid. We have to be a lot more proactive. And our experience with BYU has changed our minds a little bit because BYU is a church school, not located in California or the or exactly on the coast. They're in the mountain time zone. But BYU is very different from most other schools in the WCC, not just ecclesiastically, which is that's definitely true, but BYU is huge. Like you could fit three WCC gyms in the Marriott Center. BYU's got like, it's one of the, three biggest private schools, I think, in the entire country. Their budget, both with FBS football, their history, their 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 structure here is substantially different from Pepperdine or Pacific or Portland. And, you know, Gloria was telling me, like, our experience with BYU has showed that we can be a little bit more flexible. Like, was BYU a very good program for us? Yes. Did they win everything? No. Um, much to ask any BYU basketball fan. Like, you went and played in a high school gym every year and you lost. Um, and, and you did that in, in multiple sports despite all of your money, uh, which um, I think has given this, the, the league, the, I think, the, the freedom here to think maybe we can expand our criteria a little bit more, whether that is to include a school like Grand Canyon, which is more similar to BYU in some ways, uh, very different in other ways, or potentially ask straight up, hey, would you guys take a public school? And she said, yeah, you know, if, if they fit. In, in other in other ways right now, if they were going to be additive to our league and they, they fit other criteria, yes. So if you are an amateur realignment realignologist or whatever, you could you should expand your target list a little bit because situations have changed and they're willing to be a little bit more flexible. And that's kind of what happens when you're in unprecedented times, right? We only take AAU schools unless the right school comes along as not in the AAU and then maybe we change our mind. We only take schools that fit X, Y, and Z. But I, don't, I mean, shit. Like, if the if the if the if the Pac-12 falls apart in four years, could the WCC take Stanford or or maybe Cal for their at least for like uh, for basketball stuff? I wouldn't say that's impossible. Um, you know, depending on what else kind of shakes down. So I can understand. Hey, maybe we don't need to grab Seattle tomorrow. Let's wait to see what happens in eighteen months. Maybe things look a little bit different, and uh, that's I think would inform why they've acted the way that they have. I think the the public school thing was was the eye opener for me, at least just um, expressing that that publicly because it does explain. You know, there's just a limited number of institutions out west. I mean, I think that's kind yeah. of the there is a a bit of an untold story just in terms of the limitations of of 
schools out there. You know, I, I mean, I, I think that's something that certainly anybody that's that's lived, you know, kind of west of the Mississippi and, and especially in, um, you know, west of the Rockies. I, I mean, there's just the, the schools you got to go to. You, you got to get on an airplane or, or you're driving long distances. It, it is not like the Midwest. It is not like certainly the East Coast. And, and that's just a, a different thing that a lot of these commissioners kind of have to have to contend with. You know, you're you're either in a in a massive population center or you're really off the beaten path. And um, it does limit your options in terms of just the, the sheer numbers. But you know, that can lead to some advantages. And, and I'm going to be very curious just in terms of the timeline. She didn't really get into that too much in terms of essentially yeah. like when that actually might happen. But um, you, you got to think that, um, you know, eventually they're, they're going to try things out as an even, as, as an non-number conference. Um, but but I, I can definitely see, uh, you know, a couple others uh, getting into the mix as they make improvements to their facilities, as, as they go through this division one, um, you know, re-transformation or, or whatever you want to term it over the next uh, year or two, and, and then kind of reset and, and see where they're, they're at. But um, it, it's going to be very interesting because they're not the only league that's going to be jockeying for some members, not, not only out West, but, but I think in general, uh, kind of at this, this level of, of uh, kind of mid majors. Yeah. I don't, if you had asked me this like seven months ago, I'd be like, just add a Grand Canyon already. Like this, this get over yourselves <laughs> and make my life a little bit easier. Now I understand waiting a little bit. And I, I think if there you if you remain interested in one of the four schools that I talked about, I think you will still be able to get them in six months. But if you want to see if there's still a whack, uh, if you want to see what happens with the Pac-12, because we don't have a, a complete finality with, with what's happening with that league yet vis-a-vis the Big Ten. Um, there's reason to wait. And if you want to wait to see what division one looks like in case anybody else kind of shifts up or down or something, and then you can make your decision. And if that means you have a, a year or two with, with an odd number of teams, it's not the worst thing in the world. I'm sure Santa Clara and, and, and Gonzaga are going to be fine. Um, anyway, you can go read all of that. And uh, you can read some of the other dispatches that I'll be dropping from Charlotte uh, over the end of this week and next week, trying to get some more academic information about what's happening with all of the money, how schools are raising it, how they're spending it, and how that may or may not go to athletes and brands over the next couple of days. Brian, you are in the middle of some pretty interesting conversations with head coach you as well. Yeah, just talked with uh, Tim Murphy on an episode that came out on Tuesday. The, the Harvard head coach been there three decades, hard, hard as it is to believe. But uh, uh, really some interesting insight just in terms of how, how the Ivy League operates from, from a coaching perspective, the, the type of athletes that he recruits. Um, you know, it, it was really fascinating conversation. I, I, I do get the sense that uh, Bronco Mendenhall, my, my co-host on the Head Coach U project, was was all about the Ivy League model, um, you know, just kind of outside of maybe competing uh, at, at the highest yeah. level. But, uh, you know, I, I think he he understands the appeal for from an academic and athletic marriage perspective and, and how those two kind of coexist um, because it is, it is a very unique uh, model in terms of not offering scholarships, not having access uh, to the FCS playoffs. You know, this is very much about the Ivy league season and the Ivy league season itself. But at the same time, you're recruiting guys that uh, also can end up going on to not only be doctors and lawyers, but uh, run billion dollar companies. And that is just kind of the pool of candidates that Harvard is in. So it was interesting to kind of get Tim and, and his perspective on that. Somebody who's been around the block, used to be at Cincinnati as well you know not not too often do you hear of a head coach going from Cincinnati to an Ivy League job but uh, that was kind of the state of things uh, before he got there at UC so uh, we, we got into those days as well but uh, fun, fun times there on the head coach you podcast as as well as jumping on with uh, a lot of other connect pieces throughout the week as well um you can uh I mean could you imagine somebody going from Cincinnati to a higher profile job in college football I, I don't think that would ever happen um 
appreciate you listening and, and reading everybody. If you enjoy the show, it, would, it is enormously beneficial to us, especially as we are having some new conversations with potential sponsors and potential partners to smash the recommendations button, tell people on Twitter, tell people on Reddit, tell people on message boards, tell people on, 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 on unclaimed billboards off various state highway systems about going for two and about extra points. That helps all of this stuff grow. Um, there is an off chance that I will not be on the next show. Maybe Brian will book some special musical guests. Uh, in the meantime, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch up with you again very soon.